University Baptist Church is a faith community striving to think critically, live creatively, and love continually in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. We gather on Sunday mornings at 5775 Highland Road between Lee Drive and Kenilworth Parkway. Visit ubc-br.org or at ubcbr on Facebook for more information. One of literature's greatest villains are the Dursleys. They are the aunts and uncle of Harry Potter. Now, forced to take him in after his parents' untimely death at the hands of the Dark Lord, Voldemort, the Dursleys treat Harry with contempt. He's forced to wear hand-me-down clothes from his cousin Dudley, who is about four sizes bigger than Harry. He has to cook and clean while Dudley sits on the couch watching TV and stuffing his face full of treats. And Dudley is given two bedrooms, one to sleep in and one to play in, and yet Harry is forced under the cover and where he sleeps, under the stairs. The Dursleys are villains because they know how to reject and isolate their nephew. See, the Bible has a lot of villains. Pilate, Ramses the Great, Delilah, Jezebel, Augustus Caesar. There's a very clear line in the Bible between right and wrong, good and evil, hero and villain. The Bibles might call them by the name of Cain or the Philistines, but the core of these stories are lessons on fear and rejection and isolation and oppression and control and mistakes and change and failures and and timidity. And, And as much as things change, they really do stay the same because we live in a world with people who face these same crippling obstacles. What we often fail to see is in the middle of conflict and chaos, these crippling obstacles, they're preventing us from living the life that God desires for us. And so this week in our Dumping Jezebel series, boldly stepping beyond life's greatest obstacles, we're going to focus in on the feeling of isolation and rejection. And for this, we turn to the book of Esther, chapter 4, verse 13. Now, Esther is actually a quite fascinating book. Uh, Because here's a fun fact, Esther does not contain the word God in it. There's no presence of miracles, there are no prayers at all. On top of the complete absence of God, the book ends with the slaughter of almost 75,000 people. So there's that, and what you do with it. So it begs the question, why is Esther even in the Bible? Well, the story goes like this. 450 years before the birth of Jesus, King Xerxes ruled over the Middle East. His kingdom centered in Persia. Historians believe that this is the Xerxes who began that famous war against the Greeks and quickly find out that Xerxes is a man who expects to get what he wants. While he's hosting a party for his noblemen, his wife, Queen Vashti, was throwing a party for their wives. And the Bible tells us that Vashti was so beautiful that Xerxes sent a messenger to his wife because he wanted to bring her out to display her beauty before all of the noblemen. Except she refused. And in response, Xerxes' counsel advised him that he should replace the the queen, saying, For the queen's conduct will become known to all women, so they will despise their husband. Nothing gets a story off like patriarchy, right? This might be where we get the term uh, trophy wife comes from the roots in the book of Esther. And there's probably only one song to best describe how Vashti feels right now. Eric, can we play it? 
Alright, alright. The Gloria Gaynor's 1978, I Will Survive, stands the test of time, probably as the best bitter breakup song of all time. But that probably captures how Vashti feels in this moment. In March, we did a little spring cleaning around the house, and I was charge of the garage and our storage room. And I was making a highly concerted effort when all of a sudden I found all my high school yearbooks. So, of course, I did the important thing, and I sat down and started looking through those yearbooks. And it was just a second or two of walking down memory lane. And boy, it was amazing to me how much time has passed since the experience of high school. It was amazing for me to see the people and things that I once thought were so important. So now, over 20 years later, they have no bearing on my life whatsoever. I came across pictures of faces of people who I desperately wanted to like me, but never gave me a chance to be their friends. I saw a lot of girls in there that I desperately wanted to love me and had no absolute interest in me whatsoever. And so I thought, started thinking to myself, why am I painfully going through the experience of rejection all over again by looking through these yearbooks? I think rejection could quite possibly be the most human, uh, uh, the most universal human experience. We've all experienced rejection in some way or the other. I could tell you the first time that I truly experienced rejection was uh, by Courtney Sauls in third grade. You see, I was in love, and she was a taller fourth grader a year above me. So I sent her a note. I love you. Do you love me? Check yes or no. She never even sent the note back. Our earliest experience of rejection was most likely come from the peers at our school, maybe even our family. Adolescence is one of the most cruelest experiences of human existence. You could not pay me enough money in this world to go back in time to middle school years. Some have experienced rejection in getting into college, not being hired for a job, among your coworkers, by a supervisor, or even maybe by the people who work for you. You might have experienced rejection from neighbors or a group of friends. Relationships are certainly one of the most leading causes of rejection and isolation in our life. Some have experienced rejection in the church, in our community, the very institution that should know better. People experience rejection and isolation because of how the way they are viewed and their physical appearance, because of their race or their identity or their sexual orientation, where they came from or what they do and do not believe, their political or religious affiliation, their level of economic worth, their role within the company, and so much more. Rejection is a universal human experience. But what do we do with rejection? For this, we turn back to the building of our narrative. We learn that Queen Vashti is, is quickly fading into the background, and Xerxes commissions what feels like the ancient version of ABC's The Bachelor, because he brings all these women into his court in a contest to decide who will be the next queen of Persia. This is where Esther enters into our story. She's brought into the court uh, as a chance to be a part of the throne. However, unbeknownst to, Esther, uh, to, to King Xerxes, Esther is a Jew. And during this time, the Jews were not held in high regard because they rejected the culture they were living in in exile to maintain faithfulness to God. And under instructions of her cousin Mordecai, a key figure in the story, Esther decides to keep her true identity from the king hidden. And as the story goes, Esther is selected by the king to become the next queen. Yet sometime later, the hand of the king, a man named Haman, grows very upset at the success of the Jews in the kingdom. 
More specifically, Haman has developed an extreme grudge towards Mordecai, Esther's cousin. At some point in the book of Esther, Haman was traveling throughout the streets, coming across the Jews who bowed down before him, but Mordecai chose not to bow before him, not to drop the knee. And so Haman convinces the king to actually let him build a 70-foot, 75-foot-high gallow intended to put Mordecai in front of the kingdom and to hang him in front of everyone. But beyond the gallows of Mordecai, Haman schemes a plan that would lead to the utter doom and destruction of the Hebrew people. Haman's rage causes him to, to allow the king to put an edict into place, to allow him to put these anti-Semitic laws in place that rival that of the German Third Reich. Haman's desire of power and wealth and control, he uses lies and politics to manipulate the king in hopes that it would end an entire race of people. Esther's uh, cousin Mordecai learns about what's about to happen, and so he brings his fears to Esther, the queen. You see, from Vashti to Mordecai to Esther and to the Hebrew people, the book of Esther is built on the human experience of rejection and isolation. And while it might be one of humankind's most universal experience, it still doesn't change the severity of the emotional turmoil that brings into our lives. One of the most basic and carnal levels of human existence is, is to feel that you want to be accepted by other people. And rejection and isolation, actually anthropologists believe, was one of the most adaptable uh, emotions within the human being. You see, in a hunter-gatherer society, which uh, was the price of ostracism, would literally lead to someone's death. Someone not able to survive, someone not able to be near the fire, to consume the gathered food, to have shelter. Therefore, the human body developed an early warning sign, the feeling of rejection, to alert someone at the risk of ostracism. There's a deep and emotional impact that affects the rejection in our life and the human psyche. This is why we see Mordecai and Esther in the beginning of the story. For some, rejection makes one feel unseen or abandoned. As if you don't matter if you even exist. For others, isolation makes us feel undervalued and undeserving as if who I am and what I have to offer wouldn't make a difference. For some, rejection causes them to lose the ability to trust in others, to let alone themselves, making them the act of being a part of a community or with others even more challenging. And for others, isolation leads them to become more defensive or accusatory or judgmental because clearly these people are really at fault. You see, there's some psychological, carnal, basic things that happen with this when we feel the pain of rejection. And some researchers have proven that rejection triggers the same part of the pathways of our brain that activate the experience of physical pain. So understanding how rejection makes one feel leads you to acknowledge the validity of the emotions you are experiencing. And to not do so often leads us to suppress or deny, which causes all sorts of a toxic emotion to build up within us. And I think the God that created our capacity to feel such an array of emotion wants us to recognize the ver variety of emotions we experience, whether that be joy or peace or fulfillment or rejection and isolation. I think God wants us to admit when we feel embarrassment and sadness and disappointment and discouragement and feeling sequestered. 
And so as Mordecai begins to understand the depths of the emotional turmoil that he and his people and soon Esther will experience at the hands of Haman, he comes to Esther for help. And the scriptures tell us that Mordecai begged Esther, he pleaded with her to go before the king, but there is a catch. If anyone appears before the king in his court without being summoned or invited, even if that person is the queen, that unsummoned person would be subject to death. And so Esther becomes overwhelmed with fear. And for good reason. Not only is this evil plot of Haman maybe going to catch up to her and, yes, her people, but going for the king could lead to her very death. And so Esther tells Mordecai that that what he asks of her is impossible. This was a rejection and isolation of her existence. It turns inward, making, making her feel unconfident and taking bold steps forward. She felt alone and judged, immovable and un, undervalued. And for this, Mordecai gives the most remarkable statement in the book. In chapter 4, verse 13. Do you think to yourself that in the king's palace you will escape the doom of Haman any more than that of all the other Jews? For if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from some other place, but you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. It's a fascinating, bewildering fact that God's name is not mentioned in the book one single time. I mean, for those formulating the, the thing that we now call the Bible, you'd think this would be a sign to them, a book not containing the name God or mentioning of prayer that it shouldn't be included. Yet if you look at the books, its contemporaries in this time, there is an overwhelming common message from the book of Daniel to the prophets to the book of Esther that despite what you are experiencing in your life, despite this exile that you are facing, Despite the rejection that you face every single day, God is with you. You are not alone. The God of the universe is with you. Some biblical scholars have argued that the, this tale of Esther is a word of encouragement to the Hebrew people who generation after generation faced hardship. Surely this is the undercurrent of this unspoken message from Mordecai to Esther. Remember our forebears. Remember who they journeyed with. Remember the God that brought you out of Egypt and gave you the promised land. Remember that you are chosen and set apart. Remember that God is always with us. The New Testament has a word for this. It's called the incarnational presence of God. And we learn that that's why Christ came to live and dwell among us, to to not float around as this self-righteous religious person, but instead we see Jesus breaking bread with the so-called sinners of his day. We see Jesus touching the lives of the marginalized and the broken. We see Jesus giving hope to the hopeless. And as Jesus walked among the people, he experienced the essence of human existence, the dirtiness, the outcast, the broken, the marred. Jesus shows us that the incarnational God is willing to get messy and physical and touchable and earthly and bloody and breathless for God's creation. It's in Jesus we see that God is present with us because God is not seated on some throne, but God comes and experiences life with us. This is the promise of God. 
that God's Spirit dwells and is among us. You see, to truly understand God, we must embrace the compassionate presence of God with us through Christ. The incarnation shows us who God is, a God of compassion and transformation, even when we are experiencing rejection and isolation. This is the message of the Bible, that God is our refuge, a, a solid foundation as we face the onslaught of darkness. This is the prayer of the psalmist. We see this message over and over again. I mentioned Harry Potter at the beginning of our conversation. Dejected and isolated from his family, Harry leads uh, a life of believing that he is a, a nobody. So a curious thing happens when he receives a letter in the mail because Harry has never received any letters before. In fact, as he tries to open this letter, his uncle steals it away along with the thousands of duplicate letters that came in the mail. Is it until this gigantic man named Hagrid kicks in the door, hand-delivering this letter to Harry, that he learns that he isn't alone, that he isn't a nobody. In fact, Harry is a wizard. He's a great one at that. And he has the opportunity to join a community of other people just like him. You see, as we hear this message of God is present in our life, we must remember that God has also given us the gift of community. The church is God's physical manifestation of God's presence among us. We gather together, whether physically or spiritually and emotionally distant, that we are called to be the presence of Christ to one another. Paul calls the church the body of Christ, showing us that we too have the opportunity to reach into others' lives who are experiencing rejection and isolation and to not stay immobile but to act. In fact, Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 that we are called to take the love and peace and comfort we have received from God so that we can then turn around and pour that into others' lives. Mordecai was coming to Esther as we would come to the church, a safe community to share in his suffering and the suffering of his people. Esther now has a choice to step out in faith to see if the king will include it in this safe community or if he will reject her. And verse 16 says this, Go, gather together all the Jews who are in Susa, and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days or nights. I and my attendants will fast as you do. When this is done, I will go to the king, even though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. See, Esther is filled with courage and faith. She's faced with the isolation and rejection that has come from Haman, the isolation and the rejection that could come from the king, yet she chooses to step out in faith to do what is right. And Xerxes does not reject her. In fact, he embraces her. When Esther comes uninvited uh, before the king, he actually declares to it, what do you want of me? Ask of it, even if it's half of my kingdom. And yet her request was simple. Will you and Haman join me for dinner tonight? And the king gives a, yes, ma'am, we'll make that happen. Except the fascinating thing happens in the story because Haman and the king and Esther sit down for the meal, and the king can see that Esther is troubled, and so he asks the queen again, what is it that I can do for you? If it's half of my kingdom, I will give it to you. And there Esther begins to 
unveil the plot of Haman, to have her cousin Mordecai murdered, to have her people murdered, because she is, in fact, a Hebrew like these other people. And instead of the king rejecting and isolating Esther, he chooses to embrace her. In fact, he becomes so enraged that he has Haman arrested and his plot is pushed to the side. Esther's story is one of rejection and the implications of isolation, and yet Esther's story shows us the power of following God's leadership in the worst possible circumstances. Sometimes rejection can teach us a very powerful lesson. This last year, I was uh, applying to doctoral programs, and I finalized the programs to two different programs, one that LSU and Arizona State offered a respective doctorate in education and organizational leadership. But I soon learned from Arizona State that there was some sort of statute uh, within Louisiana law that prevented Louisiana educators from taking online classes from Arizona State University. See, LSU had started this because they were purging and losing students who were doing online uh, master and doctoral level programs at Arizona State due to its convenience and, and, and cost. Except when I reached out to Louisiana's Board of Regents and the Board of Education, they actually informed me not only did that uh, not apply to me because that I was an educator, but they had also recently got rid of this statute, and so it shouldn't be a problem for me to enter into one of these institutions. Except a month, two months, three months, four months went by, and my application status at Arizona State still said in review. And so knowing classes were supposed to start in a month or two, I finally contact Arizona State just to find out that I had not, in fact, been injected, uh, rejected, that I, in fact, had not been put under review, but that an administrative assistant decided that I no longer wanted to participate in the program and had actually removed my application from the process as a whole. But this whole time, I was sensing this feeling of rejection. And one of the lessons we learned from Esther is that sometimes the rejection and isolation we feel in our life has nothing to do with us but has to do with the person who's behind it. Oftentimes, we feel the rejection of other people. We feel uh, their anger and their frustration, their choices to control and to manipulate us. But oftentimes, we learn that something is going deeper on in the surface. And yet, how often do we allow the rejections of other people to shape the way that we see ourselves, our value, our value in this world, and our value to God? And Esther's story shows us that oftentimes it's not about us. And we're called by God to see a deeper level behind all of these things. One more hard lesson from the Harry Potter story I mentioned earlier. Sometimes even those who write profound stories about the deep pain of rejection and isolation can become villains themselves. In fact, this last week, J.K. Rowling, the beloved author of Harry Potter series, rejected and isolated those from the transgender community by sending out a, a series of tweets that shocked the world. Her words were painful and hurtful and judgmental. And who was the first to speak out against her cruelty? But the boy who lived. Daniel Radcliffe, the boy who played Harry Potter, the one who can give credit to this woman for giving him a career. He denounced her words, giving comfort to other people. You see, one of the most remarkable lessons we learned from Esther about her ability to overcome the turmoil of isolation and rejection was that she saw that it was an opportunity to rise above herself and do something that was far beyond her. 
She's faced with the decision to save her own life, to keep her identity hidden, to secure her future on the throne. Esther chose to step out in faith and to love her people in the way she loved herself. She breaks the law. She goes before the king. She has Haman's plot ruined and all out of faith. Esther understood that she played a bigger role. She learned that turmoil and rejection can often prevent us from our kingdom impact. As children of God, as followers of Jesus, we play a part in God's redemptive work in this world. And whether we, that work is in a relationship or a friendship or workplace or neighborhood or community, you and I are given the opportunity each day to have an impact in this world. But oftentimes the rejection and isolation we feel in our life calls us to look inward, to feel unseen and abandoned and undervalued, untrusting of others, uh, self-centered and defensive and critical and judgmental, and therefore we choose not to play a part in God's redemptive work in this world. Yet Esther teaches us that we have a part to play in something bigger than ourselves, led by God's leadership if we're willing to step out in faith. But we have to make the difficult choice of whether we will let rejection and isolation control our lives. From our scripture this morning, we see the remarkable invitation to overcome isolation and rejection. We are created by not a distant God in the cosmos, but a God who is present with us, equipping us to face whatever we experience in our life. So this morning, may we choose to dump Haman in all of his rejection following Jesus as we boldly step forward beyond life's greatest obstacles.